you can have a story that people can enjoy and you're not going to deliberately you know obfuscate what, what you know what they have to do in order to make it enjoyable and so those are two original pieces and oh, they wow. were composed they were composed on the mt32 that's awesome <laughs> nice Welcome back to another episode of the Retro Rents Retro Gaming Podcast. This is our 56th episode, and I am Al. I'm Nick. And with us tonight, we have an amazing special guest. I'm really excited to talk to her. We have got the chance to sit down and talk to the great Julia Minamata. I hope I said that properly. Um, the developer, uh, designer and coder of the Crimson Diamond. Hi, Julia. Thank you for coming on. Hi. Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Thank you. Um, this is a, a treat for us. We've, we've gotten to talk to a few people, but um, what, what makes this really cool is, like, this... I guess we can start here. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around, and I apologize, but uh, we heard about Julia and her awesome game, at this past PAX East um, 2020, in case anybody listens to this way in the future. Um, Nick and I were fortunate enough to not only be able to go, uh, obviously before the whole uh, COVID-19 thing happened, but we were also able to attend a panel called What's Next for Adventure Gaming. And that is where, you know, we got to to uh you know see, see, see and hear Julia talk about her game along with several other uh, developers. And um, I guess we could start there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about PAX. What was it like for you to be on a PAX panel? Uh, was, it, was it your first? Yeah, or... it was my, my first PAX panel. And it was, yeah, it was crazy. It was a crazy experience. It was so exciting. Um, I was pretty nervous starting out talking. Uh, while I started to talk more, I started to calm down. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did notice that um, when I, I we had little cups of water in front of us and stuff, I I noticed that even though I felt calm when I when I picked up the cup of water to take a drink out of it, my hand was shaking. Mm -hmm. Although I felt fine, <laughs> still I was I guess I was so I was so like psyched up to to do it. So that yeah, was a great experience. Yeah, that that's awesome. I mean, I can imagine that being. Uh being pretty intimidating i mean it's it you know full disclosure behind the curtain it's how i get with it with any interview on here where i'm talking to him like you get nervous at first and then it's like all right i'm kind of getting into the groove here talking to people and uh i don't think that ever goes away i think that's a cool thing but um but it's yeah a bad thing yeah yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't think I'd not want to be excited about it because that, right. that kind of sucked too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that was my first PAX. Uh, I Nick has gone how many times now? <laughs> I've gone several. I think East I've done at least four years, uh, right. but I've kind of like I've kind of jumped around. I've done South. I've done well West slash Prime. I got to get out to Australia at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I envy you. <laughs> but no, it, it was my first experience. So that was like my first panel that I actually got to like sit in on. And it was just really cool seeing this like who's who of, of modern adventure game uh, developers. And um, yeah, so obviously Crimson Diamond uh, definitely stuck out to me um, as somebody who grew up playing a lot of these kinds of adventure games. 
And uh, Nick, I'll, I'll hand this over to you uh, so we can learn more about Julia uh, as a game developer. Sure. So uh, wh what was the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a game adventure developer? Like, you, know, you know, not only with the uh, Crimson Diamond, but just, I guess, in general. Well, I, when I um, was thinking about this over the week, uh, I realized that there were actually a lot of moments in my life where I wanted to become a game developer, but all the pieces didn't come together until much later. And then that's when it actually started to actually become a reality. Um, I thought about it, and even way back when we had a Commodore VIC-20. <laughs> uh, Classic. <laughs> yeah, um, so we had one of those books of just game code where you could just transcribe oh, game yeah. code to make the game. And, and I was probably between like six to eight years old, I would say, with this Commodore 64, trying to transcribe this code, not even knowing what, it, you know, what I was trying to write down. Mm -hmm. um, n never getting it to work, but just, it was such an exciting idea that you could sort of, and I wouldn't be making the game, but in a way kind of just generating a game from just a bunch of like, like a magical spell, kind of like yeah. uh, King's Quest 3, which is probably why I didn't like King's Quest 3, is that kind of <laughs> had to write everything perfectly for, you know, and the dire consequences did you, you know, not get it right. Um, but I do remember that even from like being that young, the idea of making a game was something that was so cool to me. It was just so far out of reach, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, at that time. And, and, and even as I go through school, I realized that, you know, when I was in high school, I took um, a couple uh, like computer, I think they were called programming courses. Um, mm -hmm. One of them was uh, we did a bit of Java. And uh, I, I made a triangle in Java, and I don't remember how I did it. And I couldn't, <laughs> if you just sat me down right now and offered me a billion trillion dollars to do it, I could not do yeah. that. Um, but it, and, and so that type of thing, or, or we, we had a, a, there's a programming language, at least that is taught in Canada, called Turing, which is, a, it's kind of like a oh. C kind of style of language. Um, and it was developed specifically to help teach kids and teach classes, computer programming, the basics. Um, and that was another thing where I was learning a few of these little tools, but there was no idea that, you know, you could actually make a game where anyone had made a game to show us or with you know there were this was before youtube so right. you couldn't learn this stuff on your own you couldn't really necessarily go to the library and take out a book on how to make a computer game so i had taken these courses because i you know was, i've always you know played with you know uh, computers probably my dad was a pretty early adopter of you mm -hmm. know like the commodore for 20 like we had a, a tandy all that type of you know thing growing up and i've always been interested in computers and i've always played computer games and i've always been interested in learning how to do that but just the stuff that was available at the time in terms of resources and like, I guess my age too. And, uh, and just being so busy with other stuff in high school, not really spending the time that I would have liked to necessarily to build anything um, that kind of fell by the wayside um, kind of in high school. And at the end of high school, I, um, I decided to go to, um, to college for art, for, for visual art. Oh. And uh, so I did illustration in college and at that time I was just it was all illustration all the time and I, I didn't really go back into thinking about making computer games until um, sort of two things happened um, which I can't remember specifically which one happened before the other one but they kind of combined um, to help me decide that I could actually potentially do this mm -hmm. and one of the one of them is um, I learned about Adventure Game Studio yeah and yes and the way I learned about it is I was watching there was a YouTuber named her crabbiness and she played, she did, she would show Let's Plays and she was showing a Let's Play of a point and click adventure game that I had never seen before. And I thought I'd seen quite a few of them at that time. Sure. 
uh, and it was something called, you know, something called the Ben Jordan series of games uh, by Francisco Gonzalez. Huh. And yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with with him I, and his work. Oh, I know his work. I'm I'm hooked on Lamplight City at the moment as well. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. He's come such a long way from like the stuff that I remember him doing even you know ten years ago or something. Um, so when I saw that, I and I and I learned about this tool. I thought this is actually this is really cool. You know, this is something that's purpose built for adventure games. It's not like I'm trying to, you know, use Java or something yeah. to make an adventure game. And I thought that was cool. And I kind of filed it away in my head. And um, then the other part that kind of excited me and kind of got me thinking that this is something that actually is within my, my reach. Finally, was uh, I learned how to make pixel art in Photoshop. Oh. Yeah, so uh, because I use, a, I'm, a, I'm an illustrator, freelance illustrator by mm -hmm. trade. I, I learned how I've been, I use Photoshop all the time every day of my life for like 15, 20 years by now, I suppose. Um, and, and, and sadly, slash, a good thing is that I've been using the same CS2 ever since college. <laughs> I just never, <laughs> I never upgraded it. Um, but it's fine. It does what I need. And hey, it actually it works. It does work. And it did more than. You know, even at that time, then I realized because, yeah, it, it, it had this ability to do pixel art that I had never even thought about. Um, I just so happened to read an online article about the pencil tool, the non-anti-aliased pencil tool. And uh, so the first thing I did was I started to try to make some adventure game portraits and, and some rooms and things. And based uh -huh. on the art that I liked the most, which was this, a lot of the Sierra stuff. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, by that time, YouTube had been invented, which was nice. Um, super helpful. And I, I saw uh, an adventure game studio tutorial, a set of tutorials where um, someone, Lenz Ming, um, led you step by step through how to just use the basic stuff of adventure game studio. And that's kind of where it all started. It was, it was just um, sort of a confluence of, I, I kind of have more time to play with it. There are tools that have developed that make it easier to build games. Mm -hmm. And um, there are resources available now where I can see people who've made games in this thing and I can see <laughs> how to do it. It's sort of, so, I mean, not that it was impossible before, but it just became, you know, this level of accessibility that I felt like was, was something that I would, I could do. And, and so that's kind of how that started. Yeah. It's, it really is a, an interesting time of like a perfect storm of different mm -hmm. technologies. Uh, even like, you know, not not to like flip it around and make it about myself, but like wanting to do a podcast, it's like you didn't. I didn't know mm -hmm. where to start. Oh but, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, but you have the resources now to like go and look on YouTube for a tutorial. Mm -hmm. And I actually know the Adventure Game Studio tutorials you were talking about because I tried going <laughs> through them. Um, I I I lo I'm a writer when my kids sleep, uh, when mm -hmm. I can actually find the time, and I always wanted to try to make a game but i just have zero like probably negative artistic talent <laughs> in the visual sense and it's one of my favorite things about uh crimson diamond like i, I th i've always felt you know the jump we made from ega to vga that like people kind of look back on ega like uh you know it looks so <laughs> much better and it's like there is some serious art in in ega pixel art and your game is a really great example of that um and right before we jump into that, you did mention uh, pl having played a lot of, you know, adventure games in the past. And were there any uh, particulars that were your favorites? I know you had mentioned, you know, the Sierra art and stuff, but that really helped shape the kind of game you wanted to make? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that was my primary influence and stuff I looked at first. 
um, The Colonel's Bequest from mm-hmm. Sierra, 1989. That was for me the pinnacle of EGA um, art, especially um, SCI Sierra games, yeah. which are sort of the more advanced um, pixel by pixel type of art that they were doing at the time. And it, it was. Yeah, it was what I looked at. It was the rooms that they had. The rooms were, you know, rooms in a house. I mean, I started to make rooms in a house. It's, that's that's right. exactly where it all got started. And, and not only for me, not only was it the art in that game, but it was it was also the, the way it was designed. It was designed differently from the stuff that had come before. Uh, what I mean by that is that it was actually um, more story-based. You could kind of stumble through and mm-hmm. not really know what, what is going on. And the puzzles were not like really 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 hard puzzles you could get an ending that wasn't you know falling off a cliff like a real ending like a story conclusion without knowing what was going on and and for me that was it was a really cool lesson in 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 what an adventure game it could potentially be um as opposed to what it had been right and that and that's what i think the lesson is is, uh, i've taken a lot from from the Colonel's Bequest is the idea that you can have a story that people can enjoy and you're not going to deliberately, you know, obfuscate what, what, you know, what they have to do in order to make it enjoyable because it wasn't at the time <laughs> to, to do that to people. And nowadays people are just not going to, they're, they're not going to do it. You know, they, they don't yeah. have the patience and, and we have the internet and they're, they're not going to need to anyway. Um, another, another series of games that for me were, kind of inspirational in the development um is uh, the quest for glory series ah that's my favorite <laughs> yes yeah so the first two quest for glory one quest for glory two again gorgeous right gorgeous yeah. ega graphics my absolute favorite thing text parser games too which is a whole other thing i'm sure we'll talk about later <laughs> um, but not only that was their day and night cycle yeah this idea that you know you, you could visit the same locations at different times of day and they would feel different they would look different different things were happening um, and I love that. And in the Colonel's Bequest, it all happens over one night and there's no real sense of time passing besides, you know, the clock ticking, getting a little later into the night. But the graphics didn't really change in that one. Um, but I loved that part of Quest for Glory. Yeah. And so that's why I did it in the Crimson Diamond. So you'll see that in the in the demo um, that is free available on Steam right now to yep. download and try. So please do anyone. Uh, I definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so that one that that happens when you at, at nighttime. But after the demo in the actual full game, the next part that you'll see is the daytime. So you actually get to see the the light through the windows changes. Oh, actually, I can't wait <laughs> in the lodge. So you'll get to see that, and then the other parts of the game you'll actually get to explore outside of the lodge too. And people go to bed at night. You'll see that in the demo. Some people go to bed at different times, and you can't talk to them anymore. Uh, I really wanted the feeling of a place and a setting where there were people that kind of doing their own thing and I, and lastly when it, well actually not even lastly i'm so sorry there's i have i've prepped <laughs> no ahead, i've prepped a lot um and and i know okay so yeah this is inside baseball or whatever but you did give me a list of questions <laughs> you asked me if i <laughs> if i wanted to add anything and i we, didn't, we break so through that fourth wall all the time <laughs> I felt like, okay, I didn't add any questions to this, so I felt like I had to expand on the ones you sure. did give me. <laughs> okay, good. So um, another thing is that that the LucasArts more style of game design with Day of the Tentacle and Secret of Monkey Island, mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, you're not going to have a dead man walking syndrome where you're going to be stuck in no-win situations. I didn't want that either. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, although I, I admired and respected the Sierra games, I actually enjoyed playing the LucasArts games more when I was a kid. 
So I, I was yeah. looking at those games and and I and I decided I wanted to make it um, more sort of a more eh, I don't know if I want to say enjoyable, but for me enjoyable experience. Like the kind of game I would say I less frustrating. Play. Yes. Yes, by a long shot less frustrating. Um, and finally with this question uh, about adventure games that helped shape the kind of game I wanted to make. I'm going to um, so the PAX West PAX East panel had Francisco Gonzalez from uh, Grindelwald Games, who made Lamplight City, who made A Golden Wake, in Adventure Game Studio. Dave Gilbert was also on the panel, and yep. he's, of course, the head of Wajedi Games, and he's just with Unavowed and the Blackwell Games, also made in Adventure Game Studio. Um, those guys were huge inspirations for me. Also, Yatsi Croshaw, he made some games in Adventure Game Studio called the Chizo Mythos. Um, one of them is actually a text parser game. Too. I think uh, Trilby's Notes is the text person, one of those. Uh, and so for me, it's amazing for me to see all these games that are really good games made by people. And now I know these people and I've met them and I've talked to them. And this this kind of can-do spirit um, yeah. to make a game kind of with either a small team or completely by yourself. Um, that, that for me has been probably the biggest inspiration in making the Crimson Diamond is just knowing, you know, people who have gone before, seeing that it can be done. Um, even in the nineties with, um, with Hugo's House of Horrors and those shareware games. Oh yeah. Uh, David P. Gray, he made those games and that was before the tools became more accessible. Um, the idea. that was a solo effort. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He, well, I mean, some of the stuff, like some of the art you'll see is like strangely better or worse. Um, and some of that stuff is like clip art he bought, I was told, and then incorporated into his game. And then the later games, he actually hired an artist. But uh, the first one, he <laughs> either did the art himself or like the first shot, the haunted house is 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 a piece that uh, he didn't do. I think it's a piece of clip art, EGA clip art, like who would have known that existed. At the first time? <laughs> uh, but uh, this idea that, you know, you don't have to wait for permission or approval to make a game. Yeah. And you can just do it. And and the thing is, is, you know, you were a little surprised to hear that. Yeah, I'm an illustrator first. A lot of solo indie game devs are programmers first. And like the art is something that they have to develop over years and get and improve upon. Um, for me, I came upon it in a different direction where I, the art is most well developed. And then the, for me, it was that idea that I'm not really a programmer and the idea that I'd have to learn pretty much from the ground up. Right, but it's it's that same spirit of just diving in and not waiting to say, well, I'm not a good enough artist to make a game, or I'm not a good enough programmer to make a game. The idea that you're learning along the way, I, I felt like that gave me a lot of motivation too. That that is really inspiring. Uh, just again, as somebody who likes to to tell stories, you know, I've I've always kind of held myself back with the art. Now it's like, you know what? I mean, just give it a try. Uh, exactly. You know, it's. I think it's the most beautiful part about the time that we live in right now. Like you said, the, the can-do spirit, mm -hmm. I think, was one of mm -hmm. my favorite things about the panel. You know, I, I think mm -hmm. in our industry at times there's some people, you know, they'll feel like there's, like, a need to be competitive. Like, I have to, you know, others have to do less better than me for me to win and do, you know, right. for, to me to do what I need to do or whatever. And mm -hmm. I love that, especially with adventure games and adventure game creators, there's... It's such a shared passion. Like it's it is. Some, you know, it's something that you not only love to create, but the people that love to play adventure games love to play adventure games. And, yep. you know, it's just, it's awesome to see how much it, it has grown. I, I think one of my favorite points made on the panel when we were there, I, th I think it was 
Francisco who said it, or, or it might have been somebody else, but it, it's stuck with me ever since. And, you know, people j like to compare these newer games, like, oh, it's just, you know, like Monkey Island. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, compare these to, like, the tons of adventure games that have come out since 2000 that are great <laughs> and have, you know, developed on the formula and and helped it grow. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a really cool cool time to be a part of because we're getting games like the crimson diamond oh my <laughs> god like, I, I i i don't get to obsess over games uh you know as much as i would like to where it's like all right i i love this game i want to like know all about it i can't wait to play it and your demo is oh, such a teaser <laughs> but, <laughs> yes oh good 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 i love to hear it I, I i totally agree with you about the community aspect of it um you know, I was talking to Dave and Francisco, and they've been so helpful with this bits of code or suggestions and, mm -hmm. and giving feedback and everything. And I've been completely blown away. Even the online, um, even the online community with, with Adventure Game Studio. And that's another aspect that has helped me a, a lot along the way is that, um, you know, I am still learning as a programmer. I, I think... Um, I have kind of all the tools I need now to, to finish the game. Mm -hmm. But there have been times when I've been completely stuck and I've posted in the Adventure Game Studio of the forums and I needed help and I'd get like several suggestions on ways to proceed with, with a problem. And uh, it's it's really vibrant. It's a very oh, vibrant, cool. active community. So it's it's amazing. And, uh, I, you know, people I meet, talk to, you've got this this common ground and you've got this immediate level of comfort with them for whatever reason. I don't actually know why. I feel like <laughs> we all have the same childhood almost. And it's weird to think about. But, I mean, people all over the world have, have had, you know, that similar type of experience. And it's kind of, it's nice. It's a nice feeling. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, though. Like, the second you mentioned Quest for Glory, like, that, like I still play that series, like, once mm -hmm. every other year. And, like, I, you know, even the, the aspects that you, you mentioned were some of your favorites. Like, the day-night cycle, I remember, like, something like that just pulled me in immediately. It made it yep. so immersive. And I was like, I have to know everything about this world. And, um, yeah, it's it's just... Ah, man, it just you instantly have a bond with with people that have grown up playing these games and love these games, like an understanding that you know you you don't quite have with people who you know haven't gone through this and played these and, and love these games. I mean, obviously you can bond with anybody, and and it's not like an exclusive club, but it's just a very special thing to share with people. Um, yeah, I, I I um the great thing you know about where when we're living now is with all these online communities. And, you know, growing up, maybe you had a friend or two who, who liked them. But then for the most part, at least in yeah. my experience, you know, most people had no idea what this stuff was. Um, but now, as you know, we have the Internet and we have, you know, Facebook, we have all these groups. You can kind of meet up with these people and you, yeah. you can share how, you know, share this experience that we have. And, and that's been tremendously helpful, too. And really, it's been it's been great to find that community, um, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um. All right, so let's talk about the Crimson Diamond. I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the one of the things that immediately stood out to me and like immediate, you know, drew me right in was the setting. Um, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of modern day adventure games, you know, because people write what they know take place in in the U.S. And I love that this takes place in Ontario, Canada, which I know very little about. <laughs> yes, it's a sense of mystery that actually yeah, gets a lot of people interested. 
in the game to know that to know that the setting is Canada, um, the turn of the century Canada. Um, I, I have a, kind of an interest in local history. I like going to little local museums and, and, mm-hmm. and taking a look uh, because I feel like uh, they kind of are, are kind of more intimate than than I love big big museums too. But sure. when you when you go to a local museum, you can see like artifacts from you know when the town was built and founded, and and you really feel like yeah, I'm in this place. Like it's yeah. about that place. Like with a bigger museum, it's stuff from all over the world, right? Which is awesome too. But a local museum, you're like you're here, you're sitting, you're standing in the same place where that that history happened. Yeah, and, and pictures and, of the people that built it, or you know, yeah. people looking at you, and yeah, yeah, I find that I find that really compelling. And um, this, the the local history is also just a lot of places don't make it. Like a lot of towns, you're not going to know their names, and that's kind right. of the point, right? It's like they don't make it, they don't they don't succeed. People leave for whatever. Re- There's so many reasons these places don't end up succeeding. And um, just to, to see the local museum, it is like a, a success story. Like maybe sometimes against all odds, this place is still here and, you know, still with people living there and, and there's this museum. And, and so that kind of was the start of, of the setting, actually. Um, although the game did start just as an art project for me, it was mm-hmm. never, it didn't start as that story part that kind of came after. Uh, I sort of, I started to build this lodge, um, just a series of rooms, really. So when I when I, I mentioned earlier that when I learned how to make pixel art, uh, I was making, I started making rooms, like the Colonel's Bequest had rooms, so I started making rooms, and I started connecting them up, and it became a house. And then that's when I started thinking about, you know, well, well why would this house be here? Who would live right. in this house? And, and so it kind of, it started that way, and then I started to, you know, do more research about about towns and ghost towns and because I, I i knew that i didn't want it to be about a whole town i wanted it to just be centered on one place in a remote location which is you know that whole mystery trope of just that one central location that everyone kind of gets involved with um, so from practical consideration I, I knew that and i knew that i wanted crimson ontario to be a ghost town so i found a book about an ontario specifically ontario ghost towns and, and you get all the, you know, all these little histories about, you know, wow, well, why did people go there? And why did it, you know, why did they leave? Or what got built and what got built first? And um, that's why it's set in that 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 era that it's set in 1914, because that's sort of a, a bit after a lot of that, like, frontier expanding settling happened right. in Canada. So that, that's what that's one of the reasons. Um, I also I also just like that era, too. I'm I'm a fan of sort of Art Nouveau. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, into Art Deco. I love that stuff, too. So just being able to sort of scratch that, like, interior decoration itch. Because um, <laughs> it's kind of like a dollhouse at the same time. Of, yeah. Know, being a mystery house. I, I really enjoyed furnishing and putting rugs in and, and putting, you know, little figurines and paintings and stuff. Um, so that that kind of also sort of dictated. A lot of things kind of came together. And then when I step back and look at, what's what I have so far, it kind of all holds together and makes sense to me. So I think, I think it means I'm kind of going in the right direction. Uh, I would, I would agree. I mean, the, the house is very, it feels very real. Like I, I always, uh, I love when a game like this, you can use EGA graphics and it's like, I feel like I'm, I'm still walking around in here. Like I could, I could walk into this house today. Like it feels, <laughs> it feels like it exists. Um, and it feels like very lived in. Like I, I just love the the different environments. Like for whatever reason, the kitchen. I I, I loved yeah. going in the kitchen and just everything that was in there, that was like 
to the period of time that it you know that it takes place in and it's just it's another part of it that immediately drew me in and and um it, it's just it's i guess it, it's really cool like now understanding that you started this as an illustration exercise because the the graphics are amazing i, I mean for, like and you're you're doing all that yourself right you're yeah 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 like, um no please go ahead i'm sorry Oh, no, no. I was just going to mention that the kitchen was the first room I ever did. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it was. Well, it was, yeah, there was the first one. Uh, I did one that, uh, I did a first preliminary room, but the problem with that room is I didn't have like a little sprite to go with it. So everything was completely out of scale. Right. Um, but the kitchen was the first room that I had. So I built a little Nancy Maple sprite and I, you know, I, I put her up against the counters and the tabletops and made sure that you know she's pretty small actually she's a bit smaller than she probably should be but um <laughs> just to make sure that cabinets were the right you know were reachable for her and all that so the kitchen is the first room that is in the game that i actually did create um but yeah it's just um it started as is just art it started because i just i never thought that i'd start making a room uh you know a, a game right. but when the like i said the, the lodge started to gel and, you know, I made this little sprite because I wanted to make sure that everything was in proportion with everything else in scale. And then I wanted her to walk around in the room. So I, you know, did a little walk cycle. <laughs> and then I wanted to, you know, I wanted her to be able to move from room to room. And then so I started to, you know, that's when I started to look at the Adventure Game Studio tutorials and sort of started knitting the house together. And then, yeah, when the house um, started to become real and I started thinking about characters, I realized, well, I'm going to need more bedrooms because I have this many characters and they're all going to need to sleep. And I need another bathroom because you can't just have one bathroom in this huge house. And and so those were considerations I made just as like a hobby project. Uh -huh. idea. I didn't I didn't make all those bathrooms because I thought that this is a, there's a game reason for this to be here. I made it because it was a house. There was a house practical house reason, reason yeah. for it to be there. <laughs> and 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 there's so much, you know code and there's so much art and assets they're all tied up in things that um, I had made without thinking about efficiency without thinking about well <laughs> is this going to actually be involved directly in the game because it didn't start that way um, that's why there's so many cupboards and, and you know closets and drawers it's because I just liked making the furniture and then when it was there I wanted to be able to open it because there's nothing more frustrating in an adventure game uh -huh. than a closet or a drawer that you cannot open so I made it all twitch. you know <laughs> it, makes, Although, it makes the eye twitch. <laughs> exactly. I, I will say, though, that, um, yeah, I, I can understand some people have an issue with the fact that so many things are empty right now in those rooms. Um, but I will say that if I have time and if I remember, um, <laughs> I do want to go back and, you know, fill, backfill those things, you know, those those pieces of furniture with, with things. And maybe they're not, you know, puzzle items, but they're, they could be flavor items and, and stuff like that. Um and to follow up on that, like, is that kind of your your flow process for putting this all together in terms of like, you know, kind of like one thing leads to another and you're just kind of like, oh, and now I need this because I had this other <laughs> thing in another room. Well, that's that's definitely where the bulk of it happened. That's definitely how it started. Um, but now as I've come to this point where, you know, um, I've told myself I, I want to focus on this and actually finish it. Um, I'm trying not <laughs> I'm not doing that as much as the beginning because. At the beginning, yeah, it was I've just come. It was like a like a like a train set, or you know, something you keep in your garage. You kind of you know you tinker with it, you put it away for months, you come back to it, 
um, that's how it it started. It started like that, like a like literally just like a hobby thing I was doing on the side. Um, but uh, when um, with the illustration, it started to really slow down. There was like the recession in 2008 and like editorial. I'm an editorial illustrator, which is um, newspapers and magazines. And, uh -huh. and those are always having like there's always been a decline, you know, for ages now. And, and I don't yeah. think things are going to get much better. Um, which is which sucks because it was like my love. I love to do that, but I understand that it's just the industry is uh, changing. Um, so get, just having more time to work on it, I thought, okay, well, I started to pour more and more time into it. And then uh, what happened in 2018 is um, I uh, I uh, submitted it to a show in Toronto here called um, Wordplay. Uh huh. And uh, Wordplay is like a narrative game festival thing that they hold at the Toronto Reference Library downtown. Hmm. Uh, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to submit this and just see, you know, what, what, you know, people like it and stuff. And uh, and so I did. And it was a showcase of, I think, 25 games, I think. I don't know how many submissions they got, but I was surprised that I got in. I got accepted. <laughs> when I got accepted, I thought, oh, no, because it was just kind of all over the place. It was like, you know pieces here and there stuff that you know i'd go wander off on a tangent to develop something and then you know just yeah. bits it was all over the place and then when i got into the show i had maybe a couple of weeks to to make it some presentable to other people um so that kind of lit a fire under me because i i had to approach it from a different perspective i had to yep. not i had to stop you know tinkering and i actually had a goal where i needed to show this to people and like i think i had two weeks to show it um, so just to get a demo that was playable, like a slice of the game, um, to show people. Uh, although a lot of that work had been done already, just like, willy-nilly, but uh -huh. just having to be directed toward that, um, that really focused me. And so I started to think about it in that way. And I showed it there. I had a great time showing it there. Um, watching people play it was definitely an educational experience. And I learned a lot <laughs> about what I needed to fix and just weird perspective things like I hadn't thought about where... That you know that that uh, the way you control a Sierra character on the screen, yep. Right, you tap the arrow key once and you tap it again to stop them, right? Um, that's natural to us, maybe. It's the first but, thing I did. <laughs> yep. And well, you probably probably didn't work for you because the nope. default is not that. Did nope. you know you could change it though in the main menu? Did you know you could change it? I did not know that. I did not know that because I'm sitting there going, wait. Eh, eh, eh. Oh, all right, yes. I gotta hold it. Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the default was the old Sierra way. Yeah. And when I showed it at Wordplay, but I re quickly realized that hey, you know what? Like 99.9% .9 of people have never controlled a, a character on screen oh, like this before. That's right? fascinating. So, so I changed it. I changed it to press and hold because that, you know, I saw everyone was doing it. And like Nancy was like stutter stepping her way across <laughs> the screen. I'm like, this is clearly unacceptable. I'm going to have to make it easier for people that have experience with other games to play it. But if there is an option in the main menu to, to do tap to walk. That's, um, that's sorry fun. you're learning about it now, but like, you know, for the future. It's no, I, I loved, I loved, <laughs> like, I was, you know, it was one of those, like, it was a few seconds, and I was just like, wow, that was my, like, I even caught myself, I'm like, yeah, this, I, okay, it's not Sierra, duh, you know, just go with it, and it was just it's, cool. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, like I said, it was how I started, when I, I started showing it in places, I realized that, yeah, I mean, what I had taken to be the complete standard of how to move a character around is like 30 years old and no one's yeah. doing it that way anymore. But it's there, I promise it's there. Oh, I'm sure. People who remember that way. Um, but yeah, so I showed it there. And then um, in, uh, in March of like just last, oh my gosh, it's just last year, like March, April, 
I, I entered it into something called the Ubisoft um, Toronto Indie Series. Oh, wow. And uh, that was for Toronto developers of like small studios. And, and it's funny because when I was doing the application, I, I saw and they said, I think their definition of a small studio is like less than 50 people. Right. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I'm going to apply to this and it's going to be, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get it, not going to get in, but it's going to be a good experience to apply to something. And I'm in Toronto, whatever. Um, but then I got in, right? <laughs> um, it was, there were 10 finalists and we had to pitch it to a panel of Ubisoft people, like creators. Oh my God. And, uh, yeah. And it was my first experience, like pitching anything. Um, we had half an hour to pitch uh, to, to people. And uh, I thought, oh my gosh, okay, well now I'm gonna have to think about this game in another way. And that way is like a more business way. Like, can I actually make money off of this? Yeah. Um, and what's what's good about it because it's just me is that actually it's hopefully not gonna be too difficult to, to <laughs> do that because it's just me. Well, it's me and Dan, but we will, you know, I've got a musician helping me with the music, but besides that, um, just to think about it that way. And that kind of made me look at other people who had made games like this. And I thought, you know, this is a possibility. Um, but the takeaway of that anyway was that um, I decided that I was going to try to focus on developing the game full time. Mm -hmm. From well, between November and March, April, I kind of came to that decision. When I when I when I pitched it to Ubisoft, I'm like, okay, uh, I'm getting like a good reaction out of yeah. it. I'm so I'm gonna just you know live off my savings and I'm gonna just focus on this and then just try to finish it and then see what happens. Um, because I had been working on it on and off for maybe like 10 years, actually. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so I thought, you know, well, it's never going get, get, to get done this way. Um, my other career is kind of stalling anyway. So why don't I just, you know, I hate the word. I don't know why I hate the word, but pivot. I'm going to pivot to something <laughs> else and, and, uh, and, and see where it takes me. And I got to say that uh, it's taken me really some really interesting places, including PAX East <laughs> at a panel <laughs> where I'm speaking to like a room full of people for the first time. About it. <laughs> um, but yeah, showing it, showing it has been super educational and showing it um, has, you know, it, it sort of reinforced this notion of setting. I don't know how we got here, but <laughs> my problem is I have to bring it back to that because I do have more to that response. So I'm so sorry. We're going to no, like no. go in reverse and get, come back to uh, what inspired the setting for the Crimson Diamond. So we talked about the house specifically, but actually what also outside of the house, like why is it Northern Ontario, specifically Northern Ontario? Well, one of the reasons was um, that it's a lodge and it, I wanted it to be in a remote area because there's nothing more, you know, more fun than having a mystery story in a remote area where you, know, Absolutely. People, you can't have help outside and it's all up to, you know, you or it's all up to the people that are there. Um, but the other reason is because um, apart from local history, I'm interested in mineralogy and geology. And so Nancy ah. Maple is a rookie mineralogist and she wants to go to school for this. And uh, I knew that I wanted the story to kind of be focusing around some kind of mineral or something. And I decided diamond is kind of like the like the gold standard, like yeah. the gold standard, however that works. But um, yeah, it's sort of the, like the most exciting type of a spectacular find that there could be. And uh, having done research about the geology of the Canadian Shield, which is like the rock formations that are like underneath Canada, uh -huh. and uh, just the age of them and like the kind of rock that we have around here. 
where could there potentially be, you know, diamond mines? And I knew that northern, you know, Canada, not specifically Ontario, but we do have mines uh, in northern uh, Canada that are diamond mines that are in oh, operation. Wow. Um, and then I later found out that there happens to be a diamond mine in northern Ontario called the Victor Diamond Mine, and it's run by De Beers, and it actually is very similar to like the area I had envisioned the Crimson Diamond to be. Oh, that's great. Um, so that's another reason why um, it's in Northern Ontario is because geologically, um, it wouldn't be surprising to find diamonds there because there's been an open diamond mine there since 19, no, 2000, so sometime like the 1990s to 2000, like fairly recently has been developed. So it's there. So it would have been there um, in Nancy's time too. Although probably there's some probably really good reasons why they never ended up mining there, maybe for technological reasons or maybe because they had better diamonds elsewhere, but they are there. So it's, it's wow. a true thing. Um, geologically that that's awesome like again like they're uh, i'm one of those people like i would start wikiing something like that and going down the the rabbit hole of like oh wow this this just adds to this game's already like rich research that you've put into it and again just that immersive factor of this is just another step deeper into what makes it kind of a living breathing you know feeling real uh place and time um, that's, that's awesome. So let's see, I'm looking at my notes and I wrote that Victor Diamond, Diamond Mine was discovered in 1995. So 1995 is when, when, oh. and it's still in operation. Yeah. I just think it's cool that in this modern day and age, you know, where, where you, I think everybody, myself included at times, you have this like misconception that we found everything and like, we know mm -hmm. where everything mm -hmm. is, you know, and it's like, Hey, we're still finding diamond mines. Uh, oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, and then this is, this kind of segues into the next question about, the research that I've done in the Crimson Diamond, mm -hmm. um, because I did, I read this amazing New Yorker article about um, this uh, a, a Canadian lady geologist who happens to have red hair and she wears it <laughs> in a bob, and she opened, uh, discovered and opened diamond mines in the Northwest Territories in 1994. Oh wow! Um, she's called the Queen of Diamonds in the industry. Um, and so she she has been a huge huge influence in the development of mines all over the world, not just in Canada. And some of the stuff they're finding is just spectacular. They found this incredibly huge um, diamond, and I think it was in Africa. That's the size of like I don't know, like a softball or bigger. Oh um, wow! So it does happen. So I I, um, I what I'd like to do is I have something called the Crimson Diamond Gazette that I, I, I run mid-month every month, uh, I'll put it out. Ooh. And what it will have is um, it has um, sort of podcasts that I'm on, so you guys are going to be on the next one. Um, and, right. and, uh, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll write about a little bit about the development sometimes, or like I'll write about PAX East, which was just the past Gazette or, um, issue. And I'll also put like a little rock fact, a little, you know, piece of trivia that's interesting pertaining to the game. And so if you go to the, there's a dev blog on my site. Uh -huh. uh, and for the March issue, there is a link to the New York article about Ira Thomas, this, this um, lady geologist. And you can, it's a fascinating article and it tells you all about how they're using different techniques to find these things that, that hadn't been found before. And spectacular finds, not even just like, oh, this is kind of barely viable as a mine, like really spectacular stuff. So that's been stuff where I, I read it and I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this seems a lot, like, <laughs> this is a lot like what I've already done. And, and there's nothing that will make something more believable than if it's already happened. Yeah. Yeah, like that that to me, again, like it's it's one of those things like I like to to dig into a game that I get into and like the more 
the more based in reality it is, and yet the more it it is as a fun game, like it just it immediately can draw me in, and I think that's what it's a, a big appeal with this for me so far. Is just <laughs> you could tell that you've you've really done the homework and like you know the material, but the best part, and this will kind of segue into to the next question, is you you know how to treat the average gamer like me who knows nothing about mineralogy mineralogy and, and stuff like that and yet you know i could pick this up and understand what's going on and you know get it get a good feel for the terminology and stuff like i remember i remember playing one of the police quests and it was like you know thank god they had a book that came with it because like <laughs> man i would have never figured half that stuff out and uh, but one of the things that and, and you mentioned earlier you know watching other people play it and the things that you changed to make it uh, more accessible to people that didn't grow up uh, playing Sierra games, you you made quite a few uh, improvements to you know the text parser interface and uh, what we're used to as you know for these kinds of adventure games. And I was wondering if you'd like to share some of the uh, improvements that you made to kind of lower that learning curve of text parser games in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's been a real process to to make it easier to use, and the only way that it can really improve is yeah by watching other people play it, which is another reason let's plays watching people do let's plays of the Crimson Diamond have it's been so invaluable. It's been so mm-hmm. educational. And um, what I do is on I've got a YouTube channel. It's um if you just I guess you would look up Julie Minamata or the Crimson Diamond or something. Um, what I do is I try to, like, I have a playlist of some of the Let's Plays, um, and what, what you get to see is you get to see, it's like live playtesting. And um, when, you know, for for when we can't go out uh. to do shows and things like that, you I can see people play it. I can see where they get stuck. I can see, you know, um, what I what I can make easier. And one of those things, yeah, is the, is the text parser interface. And um, something really recent that happened, actually, is um, a couple of guys... Um, called uh, the gaming corner they did like a four-part let's play of the demo and uh what i saw is and i've seen this before but i did see them do this quite a bit is when they were going to ask someone a question they would uh, type ask about you know lodge or ask about crimson and they wouldn't put the person's name like they wouldn't say ask jack about crimson or ask jack about lodge and and i decided after watching them play this thing for four parts is you know what i'm actually going to make the functionality so that if you say ask about crimson it'll ask everyone that's in the room about crimson (laughs) if they have something to say about it or you know um i think even i've even put like ask people about or talk talk people stuff that um i don't know if they it's stuff that's happened in other text parser games before maybe it has maybe it hasn't but just there's no reason why i can't try to make it as easy as possible for people to play because I do realize that text parser is not like a usual thing. It hasn't been for like decades. Yeah. Um, although I will say that I think this time that we're in now, people are texting and typing and all the yeah. time. So why, why can't there be a game where this is the, the primary interface? Uh, I think it could come back. I would. I'm not going to say I'm banking on it, but I'm really hoping that this familiar familiarity with typing um, is something that you know people can come to with this and, and find it something that they can actually do. Um, not to mention, um, 
you know, what with um, like Twine games and something called Adventure On, which is a browser-based uh, game development engine where you can make text parser games. Um, a lot of game design courses in colleges and universities, they'll, they'll start people off with doing um, text games, text-based uh -huh. games. So I'm hoping that this type of increase of literacy in terms of like text parser interface will help people play these games. But um, just watching people play, so this ask about things, something I did just just the past couple of weeks, I've, I've changed that around a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are text parser shortcuts for, you know, um, if, you know, you want to do something really quickly and it's a very common command, such as open door, you can use O space D to open the door. C space D will close the door. Um, if you type help into the text parser or H, it'll give you kind of a list of the most common commands for the game. Yep, um, first thing I do. <laughs> yep. Oh, you do. So you, you uh, did you read the manual? The no, I didn't. I, I read the help. I might have started on the manual. I, I okay. just wanted. To, I was like, all right, let me get an idea of the flavor, the uh, right, right, right. the words I can, you know, the words I can use. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to hit the gas. Let's yes. go. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you, you're experienced. I mean, I know, I know that the, the manual will not get read very much, but that's why I have. Um, Sort of when you start the game, there is a, a tutorial room, yep. and then there are some prompts to help people who I know will have not read anything or have done the tutorial. I try to just keep, you know, reinforcing how to how to play the game because yeah, it's completely for, for a lot of people completely new. Um, so yeah, there's this te the text shortcuts, the tutorial room, which is something I I developed after WordPlay um, in 2018, mm -hmm. um, just just to give a step by step of the most common commands and how to use them because yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a style that people are not used to who have never played this type of game and most people won't have. And I, th I think that's a really great thing to do because again, a lot of games, even modern games today, like people are used to that initial tutorial section, you know, that, that in some way, shape or form leads you to, to walk, you know, through an exercise showing you what you're able to do you know, in this game, no matter mm -hmm. no matter what it is. I mean, like, Zelda's becoming notorious for them anymore. Um, but what I, I... And I love that, because, you know, for people that have not experienced this kind of interface, um, it, it's it's not an obvious thing. It's, it's a whole new mm -hmm. uh, way to experience and play a game. But kind of going back to what you were saying about, you know, the possibility of this taking off with people being more, you know, literate and in in, uh, using text and texting and, and, and that kind of thing... I think another thing that really plays to the benefit of text parsers, and it might sound weird, but like this tendency and taste that people like open world games, right? I mm -hmm. think with text parsers, it's kind of a certain layer of that where it's like, I'm not restricted to just A button jumps and mm -hmm. B buttons, you know, does this, does an action or whatever. Like I have to say what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was always the appeal to me, even way back in the day with, with text parser games, you know, as, as I was playing them as they came out, was it's like, how do, you know, I can interact with this world in really interesting ways. And I, I do remember people lamenting, like, you know, the original uh, Quest for Glory VGA remake, you know, it's like, oh, we lost that whole layer, and you know, you have, like, just the five or six actions that you can do, and, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you could eventually drive the whole game using the mouse, but it was just, there is a layer there, I think, that offers a freedom, if, if anything, just a freedom of the imagination that you don't get with a lot of games, and I could see that being really appealing today. Yeah, I, I have to say that uh, I feel the same way 
um, as you, because like I mentioned with the Yahtzee's Chizo Mythos games, like most of those are point-and-click games. He did one text parser game called Trailblaze Notes, and that was the game I liked the most. And it, uh-huh. it's the one that immersed me the most, and it gave me that feeling of possibility and, and like this, as you say, this open world um, that, you know, of course it's not. Of course you can't do anything. But that illusion of you can do anything is like that <laughs> magic, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not only that, but it for me also with the dialogue of a game yeah with the text parser especially if you know if you're having to ask people questions like if it was a mystery game for me anyway that text parser it's sort of the way you ask people questions and you don't get like a menu of things to ask them you're not just checking stuff off and it's not a rote um procedure that you're going through you actually have to listen to what people say um to find to come up with what you want to ask them and and to me, that kind of is more like real life, um, because sometimes I feel in real life is if only we knew what to say to somebody <laughs> at the time. Like if we could say that word or just ask that question at this time, you know, whatever, like all these situations, like how far could we get if we if we could get a, a hold of those things? Oh, it would make my job if, so much easier. Yeah, well, exactly. Like every time I'm on the phone and I, you know, you want, you know, you want to, to get a bit off your cable bill or something. Like what? can I say to get the best outcome for me? You don't get like a list of things that you can just try and go back and try If You get that shot. You get to ask somebody a question. um, And then that's it. And, and even with just like conversation, when you're talking, like as we're talking now, you know, that act of listening, it's this idea of in order for us to have a conversation, I have to be listening to what you're saying. You have to be listening to what I'm saying. And then you can ask questions based on, you know, what that is. And I think that's very natural and it does give that illusion of, oh, I could ask, you know, Margot about whatever. And yeah. maybe she knows things. Like maybe she can tell you something that you would be really interested to know that would be relevant if only you knew to ask her. Yeah. It's, I, I think that's, uh, it's what I love about the, the fact that, again, you're making a text parser game. It immediately brings me uh, back to that kind of freedom. And I, I, bringing up Margot, I think this is the other thing that, that has really drawn me in, is you have a really cool cast of characters. <laughs> this, I, I'm like, they're they're all incredibly interesting. It's what's got me going like, God damn, I can't wait to play the rest of this game. <laughs> because they're, you know, you have, you have Kimmy, uh, you, you know, the, the uh, ornith- uh, is she an ornithologist? Uh, I can't never think of the name, the ornithopt, uh, she likes yeah, birds. It- She's just a birder. She's like a hobbyist birder. She, yeah. She's a hobbyist birder. Uh, you know, you have Margot Evans, you know, the house owner's girlfriend. Like, and everybody's got this layer, and it, it comes across as like, it's like a, a Twin Peaks episode or something. Like, <laughs> there's, there's like, everybody's it's showing you this person they are on the outside. And like you said, you know, it's there's conversation with each of these characters, and the, every conversation just shows off. You know, th- this character is this kind of person. And, you know, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Evan's pretty abrasive and just wants this whole thing to be over. And, and you know, just wants to get through uh, get through the, the, the night or the weekend. And, like, you know, then you have, like, Nessa and Corvus. And it's like, what the hell are these two planning? Like, there's, there's like, a whole thing. Um, and I guess what I what I would ask with all these characters, they and they they're all so much more than they appear. At least that's the impression I immediately get. Do you have one that's like a, a favorite that you, <laughs> you're kind of favoring above all the other ones just because <laughs> they just come off a certain way, and that's you know that's your favorite character. 
Well, I will say that, first of all, and this is just for anybody listening, is if you want to butter me up, um, the best way to do it is to say that you like the writing in the game. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> because, you know, with the with the art, um, I like I, I'm a trained illustrator, so it's like my profession. And so I, when I, people say they like the art, I'm really glad to hear it. But I know that I've got this training working for me. Um, with the programming, no one is going to compliment you on the programming. You know, <laughs> it's only if it doesn't work do people know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get a compliment with the programming, however good or bad it, it might be. Um, but with the writing, like the story and the dialogue, um, that is another thing that I don't really have any training for. Like I, I didn't take any creative writing wow. classes um, at all. And I've never taken any screenwriting class. I've never, you know, any of that stuff. Like I don't have any experience or training. I have less experience and training now with that stuff um, with uh, compared to programming. It's the one, it's the thing I have the least experience with actually. So when you say that you like the writing and when I hear that, I, I just the best, it's the best compliment because <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't have any kind of, um, you know, formal guide that I'm following about how to do that. It's just like instinct for me when I'm writing it. Um, so knowing that I seem to be doing something right in that part of the game, for, like that's absolutely gold for me. So oh. thank you for that. That that mil- it does mean a lot. Um, oh, you're you're welcome. I mean, it's it, 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 it's a great game in its own right. You know, on 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 the art and stuff, and not taking anything away from that. The art is fantastic, but what what has really drawn me in, you know, the setting which we already talked about, that immediately pulls you in. Nancy's character, you know, in a way gets to relate to the player. You know, she's mm-hmm. an amateur mineralogist. Well, in this kind of sense, we all are as we play this mm-hmm. game. And but these characters and the setting for this story, like it's it's in a you you got a knack. You can tell you have a knack for a, a damn good <laughs> story. You've probably watched a lot of good movies, and you know, like there's there's a good story here and there there is some sinister shit going on in the background i can't <laughs> wait to find more about um but yeah it's there there's a lot going on in this demo um and some of it like there there's one i i have the question here uh, further along that i i had to i had to know more obviously you know you had talked about it prior where some adventure games kind of like dead man walking and there's like certain things Mm -hmm. you can do and 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 that's it and you do have a scene i don't want to spoil it but you obviously (laughs) know where i'm going Mm -hmm. Uh, there is there is a scene in there it's very hitchcockian uh if that's Mm -hmm. even a word uh but i i would have to ask is that was that meant to be kind of an in joke for just fellow adventure gamers or is that actually part of the story meaning there is even more shit to worry about in this house when you go to bed (laughs) at night uh, I will say that um, it is more like an in-joke Easter egg than anything actually related <laughs> okay. to the story. Um, and, and that was, I created that in that aimless hobbyist phase of development where I, I would it. just spend hours or days or, you know, even a week or two making something that had nothing to do with, you know, the story or, or whatever we have here. So, yeah, that that was completely just there for just for yucks basically. oh that is so funny like, I, um, I i couldn't i couldn't tell you know i was like is this part of the game but if this is like, like the best adventure game in joke ever <laughs> I, yeah i you know it's a tip of the hat to uh, to obviously to hitchcock it's a tip of the hat 
to you know and one of the games that I've been been, been inspired by and, and uh, I try to resist the temptation to add like stuff like that right now because like as you said I'm trying to focus on finishing the game yeah but yeah. occasionally occasionally there'll be something um <laughs> where I just can't resist and I'll just I'll stick <laughs> it in there if it only if it's only gonna take me you know a few days of development I'll, I'll put it in and there is something that that can be done um, with the with the crystal decanter in the living room Ooh. that I added after I saw people trying, you know, they, you know, they they try to have a drink or whatever, and and so oh, I recommend yeah, yeah. if you haven't tried it to to do that. Yeah, that, that, um, yeah. Now that you mentioned having a drink, yep. <laughs> yeah, just that that got added fairly late because I couldn't resist, and sometimes I can't, but you know, I, I do try to. I'm trying to keep my eye on the prize right now and, and try to. I've got the whole. You know the story is all plotted out, and okay. um, the the main puzzles and everything are all plotted out. I just so right now I'm kind of in that just I'm trying to execute what I've planned right now, but occasionally there are little stops here and there along the way. Um, yeah, and and for anybody listening that is that has played adventure games in the past, uh, we all knew them as Easter eggs. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. little little things that don't necessarily. Uh, you know, have a major impact on the plot, but it's just there, like, hey, you know, you're playing this kind of game, and and these are here, and and there there's there's some good ones in this demo, <laughs> um, for sure. Uh, oh, I, and, I, uh, sorry, go ahead. Going back to the question, which again we've kind of wandered off the beaten path about my favorite character, favorite uh-huh. last guests in the game. Um, I would say that for all the characters, I don't think any of them. I don't dislike any of them. Uh, I think for me, when I'm writing them, I always have to keep an eye on, you know, what's motivating them, why they are the way they are. Right. And uh, I don't try to have characters that I like are one dimensional. They have, you know, there's no reason for them to be the way that they are. I mean, even the most unpleasant people, um, you can kind of see where they're coming from. Sure. Um, and in some ways. So uh, I will say, I, I like all of them, but I, I do have a soft spot um, for Kimmy. <laughs> um, and then that's kind of because well well first of all it's kind of um she is sort of a bit rooted in my own my own family history actually okay. um because um so my great grandmother on my dad's side she immigrated to canada um, and got married here in in, uh, in vancouver mm-hmm. and my grandmother was born in vancouver in 1913 oh wow and and so there's actually there's this really long history of like japanese people in canada and, you know, so there, there would have been Japanese people in Canada, even at this time. That's and awesome. so I wanted to, I wanted to show that because I know that's part of, you know, where I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of, that's part of the reason why she's there and, and why she is the way she is. Um, and also I, I, I do like her because I think that she acts a lot like I would probably actually act if I was in a game like this. Huh. Which is, you know, I would want to keep to myself. I would want, would want to avoid drama, you know, at every cost. Um, but we all know that adventure game protagonists, they usually aren't successful if they act like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's a great reason why she's not the protagonist, why Nancy is, because I certainly wouldn't be the protagonist either. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because um, I, Dave Gilbert played a build of the game. And one of the pieces of the feedback he had for me was... Um, I don't understand why Nancy doesn't just like stay in her room the whole night and not come out because <laughs> it seems like nobody wants her to be there. And 
if I was her, I would just stay in the room and just mind my own business. I don't understand why she's snooping around. I don't understand why she's, you know, getting in everyone, you know, trying to talk to people and ask people questions. And, and you know what? He is right. <laughs> I can't say that he's wrong because I would, I would be the same way. So when he's confused about that, I, I, um, I totally get it. So um, I try to, um, in the next, I don't know if the version that's currently available right now, but I think I made a few slight changes to the writing to sort of give her more of a reason why she's, you know, doing what she's doing. Um, but I get it because that is the normal reaction of that situation. Um, as adventure gamers, we can can kind of forget um, what would realistically be right. the proper reaction to the situation because we're too busy going through all the cupboards and stuff. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so Kimmy for me is like that reflection of like not only so my own my own history and uh, and who I would probably be if I wasn't there. Oh man, in a gigantic house like that, I would be the weirdo going out of the metro going, I have to go explore <laughs> this place. <laughs> um, no, that's that's really cool. Like you get again, each character has such a cool, unique personality to them, and like you. The, the demo again just leaves you wanting to know more about them especially with the way the demo ends like that really and i don't <laughs> want to spoil anything but that really sets it up for like as soon as it happened i'm like crap here come the credits <laughs> damn it yes of course <laughs> uh, and uh, i knew it i knew it was coming but it's it's one of those like it you've really got it's it's leading up to obviously there's a lot more going on uh than than Nancy first uh, realizes, and uh, I, I, I uh, got it. So it, yeah, okay. So the demo leaves me wanting a lot more. And I guess you, you did mention one of the things I, I was going to ask. Uh, it's just kind of off the cuff. You said that you know you've you've got kind of the main plot points and stuff. And I know I would never ask a developer for a release date. <laughs> uh, I would never do that. <laughs> um, but no. So you're you're feeling like things are pretty far along and and. Like you have kind of the main stuff figured out as far as where you want to go? Yeah, yeah. So um, I would say that the demo is um, what I would, I call it chapter one. Uh -huh. um, I consider it to be chapter one of a game that is seven chapters long. Okay. Um, in development right now, I am uh, finished the first three sections of the first, first three chapters. I'm, just, I'm developing the fourth right now. Um, so that's kind of where I am in, where I am in development. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's going along well. I mean, ever since you know, just uh, ever since November twenty eighteen, I've I've um, I've gone from just the demo to you know being kind of kind of halfway there maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, so and, and as I learn, I can I, I'm able to do things faster. And uh, one of the things uh, that's great is I've I've finished a lot of the assets already. So like the oh, house is great. done for the most part, right? So and then also a lot of the animation is done too and if it's not done then sometimes i can recycle little bits here and there and and, and uh and uh if i wanted to create something new i can sort of use that as a starting point um so for me it's kind of hard to figure out where exactly i am like i know where i am in terms of developing the story i know i'm about halfway finished mm -hmm. um but then i'm more than halfway finished when it comes to the assets um but i'm way less than halfway finished when it comes to testing because right. you know every every time I build something, I have to test it, and the more that's there, the more has to get tested, and the more that can, can go wrong. So, um, 
it's it's one of those things where it's impossible for me to predict. Yeah. Although um, the Steam page did demand a release date, just so you have you know you could even put the <laughs> the store page up. <laughs> so currently, I think the release date says sometime like it, I might say when it's ready. I was gonna say it um, says when it's done, which okay, I'm good. A hundred percent behind. Okay, because internally, like I had to put an actual date, so I did. But um, I, as we go through, it's 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 scary how fast the year goes by. Yeah. <laughs> because um, it it's sort of um, I would love to get it released by you know the holidays, um, but I don't know if that's possible. And uh, and the thing is, is you know the people have been telling me like obviously like don't rush to finish it. Yeah, Just make don't it don't good. rush. You know. Take, take the time you have to take because what you what you have is something really cool. It's really special. Uh, the writing is very good, and I'm not even you know uh, saying that knowing you know that it's <laughs> a great compliment to drop, but it is very very good. I think it's going to be uh, one of the games that kind of brings people back to this kind mm -hmm. of genre. I, like it's people like a good mystery, people love a good story, and this has that. Um, so I I'm excited to to hear, uh, you know that you're you're able to dedicate the time you need to it and uh, definitely mm -hmm. test. I used to be a software designer. Test test test. Oh. Uh, not anymore. Yeah, testing. It's not enough for. I, I don't I don't develop anything anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah no it's 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 awesome to hear again. To reiterate to everybody listening, this is a pretty much a one person project, mm -hmm. um, which is amazing. There is. Uh, from what you mentioned before, and I'll actually let Nick ask this question because he's very into uh, uh, video game soundtracks and scores. Uh, so you want to handle the, the – he added it at the end here, but I wanted to make sure we got that out. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, you mentioned recording uh, – a little preempting here, but you mentioned recording with uh, your musician or your composer. So yes. like, so you're adding you're, – you're going to add a score to this game then. Oh, yeah. So actually the demo, you would have heard two of his pieces already. If you um, played or seen the demo, um, so when you launch the game, there's the theme music for the Crimson Diamond, um, and um, sort of midway through the demo, there is a dining room scene, mm -hmm. um, cut scene, and so the waltz that you hear is also composed by the musician, um, and so those are two original pieces, and oh, they wow. were composed. They were composed on the MT32. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and that's what he's he that's what that's what Dan's been kind of involved with. He's really really um keen and deeply involved in getting in that authentic sound that that we want. Um up to and including running Windows 3.11 and using DOSBox. <laughs> wow. So okay, so what I'll say is um I'll take this opportunity to segue into what we are what Dan and I have planned um this coming Tuesday, yeah. which is March the 31st. So March the 31st at 8 p.m. Eastern time on my youtube channel uh, me and dan are going to be uh starting uh, a work on a new track for the game and uh so what you can see is sort of that development process and he'll be able to explain exactly you know the the stuff he's using how he's using it what he does to create the, create the music for the game um and uh, what's cool about dan is yeah he he's 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 a huge adventure game fan and uh, mm -hmm. he loves all the same ones we love and uh he came to PAX East and helped with uh, the panel too. Oh, and cool. uh, not only that, but Dan, he, he is, a, he teaches, he tours, he composes. Um, he actually is, he's the keyboardist for Sean Paul. Oh, okay. Uh, so, 
<laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, up until the COVID thing happened, like he was, he's, you know, he went, he was just in Australia and he was in uh, Dubai, I think, with Jean Paul. They were doing stadiums with tens of thousands of people. Oh, my God. Starstruck. Um, so he is, I, I'm so lucky that, you know, he, he's like a huge adventure game nerd and he's like a huge tech nerd. Like he bought like a Roland 32 so he could do this, you know, with the game. That is so um, cool. So he's, he's like an incredibly accomplished um, uh, musician and teacher and all those other things I said. Like he does like online course, an online course right now he's teaching on how to compose, I think. Um, so I feel so lucky that, you know, he liked what he saw with the project. And uh, he's bringing his his level of detail and professionalism to it, too. Um, so I will say that March the 31st, so this coming Tuesday, yeah, um, 8 p.m. on my YouTube channel, we're going to be live streaming for about maybe an hour or so. Well, he, you know, he, he will kind of run through all that stuff. So, you know. Um, so Nick, if you're interested at all in, in uh, game soundtracks or like oh, the tech yeah, aspects, absolutely. I was gonna say, we we will be there. <laughs> oh, awesome! Perfect. What time? What time is that going to be? Eight p.m. Eastern. Eight p.m. Eastern. Okay. Eastern. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I guarantee you got two new listeners now for that one. We're two new watchers. <laughs> it's gonna be our it's gonna be our first live stream. So hopefully, um, that'll. I, I we've we've been doing some testing and everything. Actually, we did like a. a like a half hour for actually i think it was a 43 minute test stream the other night just to make sure everything was working and uh, dan was going through his his vast library of mt32 sound effects and we were trying oh, to pick man. what we're gonna use or not use <laughs> um i've set that to unlisted because i wasn't sure if we were gonna put it up there although you know if there's enough interest maybe we will um but that was cool we just kind of hung out it's really like a relaxed type of thing and uh people want to ask him questions want to ask me questions we're gonna be up for that so yeah Oh, that's exciting. Uh, I've already got a reminder in my phone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that, see, that's, that's really cool. And, and like one of the things, you know, I always, I always like to kind of get a lift the curtain on is, is how these things are made. And I, I love that, you know, we've been able to go over that detail and especially, you know, to provide us as fans of the game with a look into the, the music composition uh, it's really exciting, so I, I can't wait to to kind of sit and watch that process and and uh, you know be be able to at least be a a passive part of that you know to get to watch mm -hmm. and see that take shape. But um, I think uh, that's all the questions that we had. I do want to make sure uh, that we get this uh, pushed out, um, people. This is on Steam. Uh, it's uh, it's a demo, so it's absolutely free. Go check it out. Uh, I guarantee you the people listening to this will be as hooked on it as I am. Um, and I'm really excited to see, um, you know, to play the rest of the game, really. <laughs> let's let's be real. I can't wait. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. But is there anything else you wanted to, to, to share um, with our, our fellow Adventure Game fans? Okay, well, um, let's see. So for the YouTube channel, um, if you are not familiar familiar with you know this type of adventure game then uh, on my youtube channel i've got a playlist of people who have kind of played through the game some have commentary some don't have commentary um some of them are long some of them are short um pushing up roses did a five minute video on it which was like crazy <laughs> for me <laughs> That's um, awesome. so 
um, yeah, so if you want to see what the game is like, just to see what it, before you even like download or install it, see if that style of game is something you're interested in. And just watching how someone can play it, I think can be very educational too. Mm -hmm. So I might recommend, yeah, to swing by my, uh, if you just like Google, like not Google, if you go into the YouTube search bar, hopefully if you just put my name, uh, you should be able to find my channel pretty easily. If you subscribe, you should hopefully get a notification um, when we do go live with the stream. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it also has the panel on there too. If you do, if um, for people yes. who missed the Paxi's panel, it's also on there. And um, my website is thecrimsondiamond.com, which has like the dev blog. I have links of all the articles um, that people have nicely written about the game too, and a bunch of other stuff. So you can definitely um, check that out if there's anything you want. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. There, I've, I'm at uh, Julia Minamata, just one word. That is my personal Twitter for if you just want game news, um, you'll find that the link to that Twitter on thecrimsondiamond.com. Um, because I know for some people, like Twitter is like a thing; it's like way too much stuff. If you only <laughs> if you only want you know um, just game news, you I would recommend to follow uh, the Crimson Diamond of the, the games um, Twitter. I mean, if you don't want me tweeting, retweeting like adorable Japanese mascots, <laughs> then you you then don't follow me at Julia Minamata because that's pretty much what I do there. <laughs> as well as like, you know, you know, just basically trying to share and, and enjoy other people's projects and stuff like that. That's what I try to do on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of my favorite things about following uh, all of you, following you, uh, you know, Francisco and, and uh, every, every, like I, I basically, as I was sitting in the crowd with Nick, like I'm going on Twitter and ta like following everybody that I'm watching on the panel. <laughs> Because uh, it's just one of those, like you would mentioned earlier, it's like, these are my people! These are adventure yeah. gamers! This is great! And, um, oh yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, and it, it's... it's uh, If you like adventure games and adventure gaming, highly recommend following, you know, Julia and, and anyone you watch on that panel, because everyone has opened my eyes to more adventure games and stuff that I didn't know was out there, stuff that I haven't played yet, and uh, there's a ton! It's It's so great to see that this genre like a lot of people like to say you know adventure games have died or they're, they're not mm -hmm. it's like no they they've never been more alive and there is a ton out there to play and experience uh the crimson 100%. diamond just being the one that i'm the most excited about <laughs> thank you um but yeah julia thank you so much for uh taking the time uh i you know i, I really do appreciate it we really appreciate it obviously with everything that's that's going on right now um, it just, it's great to have, even from our end, just a little bit of normal to talk to the people we always want to talk to and, and, um, you know, get to learn more about your game and, uh, definitely get a chance to attend that live recording session on Monday. Uh, it's gonna Tuesday. Be, or Tuesday, sorry, Tuesday. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I need more sleep. Um, no, thanks for, thanks for talking and this was a great conversation and, yeah, I, um, thank you for having me anytime and as you get closer towards finishing the crimson diamond uh as you know it, it takes final shape we'd love to have you on again and talk more oh of course awesome and on that note this has been episode i gotta look oh my god 56 56 she did <laughs> this has been episode 56 of the retro rents 
everybody, thank you again for listening. Uh, and again, big, big thank you to Julia Minamata for coming on, uh, sharing more about the Crimson Diamond. Please go check this out on Steam. If you have remotely liked any of the games we talked about tonight that we all kind of grew up playing, this is a must-grab. Uh, check it out. Enjoy the demo, and then I have someone else I can commiserate with where we can say, I can't wait for this to come out. I can't wait. But, uh, no, again, thank you very much. And until next time, everybody, have fun, play games, be nice to each other, and we will catch you again soon.